Okay. Uh, good evening and welcome to the Culinary Historians of Chicago. Um, our program tonight is featuring Master Chef. I'll call him Master Chef Michael Maddox. He's former chef partner at La Titi de Paris, that iconic restaurant in Chicago. And in, I'm sorry, that's that was Arlington Heights. Is that right, Michael? Yes, yeah, sorry, not Chicago, but the Chicago area. And he's uh, an eminent chef instructor at College uh, of DuPage. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit briefly about Michael. Well, he's going to talk tonight about the making of a Chicago master chef. It, we're going to look into the mind of a chef, what, what makes a great chef, and uh, He's uh, and what makes a great master teacher, how, how he inspires his students. And he's going to give us his take on the evolution of French food in Chicago and a whole bunch of food trends uh, and insight into, into food today. So uh, Michael spent his childhood on a farm in Princeville, Illinois, where he raised animals, field crops, and vegetable gardens. And he received his formal culinary training at Kendall College and the French Pastry School in Chicago. And he has a Master of Education degree from Concordia University of Chicago. Uh, Concordia University in Chicago, not the Concordia University of Chicago. He is a full-time chef instructor of culinary arts, baking and pastry arts, and culinology. I like that word, culinology. And Michael will explain what that means at the College of DuPage, as I mentioned. And among his many honors was being named a James Beard nominee for Best Chef of the Midwest 2009 and being recognized by both the Zagat Guide and Chicago Magazine as among the top 50 chefs in Chicago. But there's, there's a lot more, a lot more to him. Uh, and he's going to give a very uh, tasty talk tonight on, on his life as a chef. And let, let's take a look into his life. Michael, would you come on down and dish out all that you know? Thanks. Sure, sure. Welcome. You, you put a lot of pressure on me. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what a master chef, but you know, for me, well, I, it, it's... I, I, I think you are. <laughs> I think you are. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone for joining this evening. Um, I'm honored and blessed to, the, to be here, uh, to be, you know, I, I'm not really always talking about myself. It's more about the others who put me where I'm at today. And you know, learning in great kitchens and meeting great people over the years and working with great people as well as far as chefs and, and other cooks I've worked with and also other, other, other chefs in the industry and those kind of things too in Chicago and other places too. And I think to me, I'm grateful for that. I mean, that, that's, it, it's not about me. It's about, you know, and even to this day, even when, as, a, as a chef instructor, is passing on the knowledge and myself, I'm a lifelong learner. So I, I, I always, we talked the other day a little bit with Scott and I talked to Catherine as well. You know, we talked and something I tell my students a lot too is, and, and my wife, who's also a chef we talked to is that, you know, when the chef tells you that they know it all, he or she is lying to themselves because, and they're lying to you and they're lying to themselves because to me, we never stop learning. We never stop learning about ingredients, about equipment, about pro and, and products and techniques and all these kind of things. And I think, you should never stop learning. And I, and I, whether you're a professional or you, you love cooking at home or dining out or all those kind of things or smoking, barbecuing, sous vide, cooking, all these different things, I think we, we can learn a lot. And to me, that's what I find interesting, even myself coming from a culinary background and then going into um, culinology, like the science of cooking and understanding what ingredients do and how they work together. And, and even 
challenging ourselves and tasting different items using different types of butter, different types of oil or uh, different, you know, farm versus farm raised versus wild raised and all those kind of things too. So to me, it's, it's interesting because myself coming from the country, I grew up, like I said, uh, Scott said, in down central Illinois, small town and everything. And, you know, my, my, my parents were farmers, my grandparents were farmers, my great grandparents were farmers and those kind of things too, but not just farming, but also raising animals. And so, you know, from that, my father had a big gardening. And so as a kid, we always used to joke that my father raised big gardens, which means there was myself and my two siblings, my two sisters, that we were very good at pulling weeds. That was our goal was to pull weeds, uh, keep the, my God, my father wanted a nice clean garden. But from that, you know, we would grow so many different ingredients and uh, from beets to potatoes to beans, the uh, corn to tomatoes. My father had 18, had 18 to 20 tomato plants. And you know, from all this, then we, we actually raised cattle and pigs, sheep, chickens, all these kind of things. And we would butcher and um, even, even venison, uh, hunting for venison and things like this too. And it really from, and, and everyone has their own story and, and those kind of things. But for me, it was, it was kind of thinking about the pressure, I don't say pressure, but good pressure is, is, you know, pride in what we did and, and passion in what we did and growing those ingredients and raising those animals and then see it go from, especially, and even myself to this day, um, before we came on here, I was talking about I have asparagus up a little bit, my rhubarb's up like that much so far. And, but it's when you plant seeds or you plant plants in, the, in your garden or flower boxes or whatever you have uh, and watching them grow and then picking the harvesting stuff off there. And to me, that's one of the, and then taking that and then cooking it, whether a cold application or a hot application, but, you know, seeing that all the way through all those steps and same thing with raising those pigs and cattle and chickens and stuff like that is too, is we would, um, you know, raise those animals and some would go to market and those kind of things. And then some of them we would butcher. And so I remember even probably at five years old, we would butcher chickens. And so we do about 200, 150, 200 at a time. And my cousins, uh, my aunt and uncle, and they had seven, uh, seven children, my cousins would come over and we all had jobs. And even like for not to be crazy but what, uh, harvesting chickens but we would butcher the chickens and then my father actually came up with a machine that took the feathers off those things and so we'd put them in hot water right to boiling water outside put them on there we'd take all the feathers off and then we had to take them inside to the kitchen and we had a whole group of aunts and sisters those kind of things whole fabrication to, to, to break those down and even with pigs and with cattle we had actually a walk-in cooler inside of our cooler inside of our large machine shed and so we would allow we would butcher those probably four to five pigs. Uh, and my job as a as a kid was is uh, one of the jobs is on a little step stool after we had viscerated or taken out the internal organs and all those things and washed it out and everything else was was to cut that right down the backbone, down the spine. And I remember as a kid up on a ladder and we were taking a saw on it. My, I think afterwards my arm was going to fall off until our neighbors, a couple houses, farms down. He was a carpenter by trade. He had a sawzall came down and he did it with a sawzall. And I think, I think it's probably one of the biggest smiles I had in my life because we didn't have to use that saw being like 10 years old, trying to cut down that spine to divide that. But we would take that and hang those things. And we would hang the pigs for about, a, uh, would be one week and the beef we'd hang for two weeks. And so that goes to aging that animal and going through rigor mortis and all those kind of things we talked about in colonology um, and affecting that. And, but it would, then we'd come back uh, two weeks later or a week later, depending on what we're doing which animal, and then we'd fabricate it. And to me, it, it was putting food in the freezer for my, when we give some to my grandparents, some to my cousins, would take everybody, would, we'd divvy that up. We'd never for sale, we'd divvy that up. And it was interesting because 
some of the best memories I have in appreciation for ingredients and growing things and food come from that. And that's kind of where that, to me, that's where it kind of all developed because some of those items uh, with a kind of a German Alsace on the, on the, on the, on the German side, on the German and the French side, an Alsace area there on the border was we had large crocs. And so we would take cabbages and we'd make our own sauerkraut. We'd take the intestines of the pork, um, clean them, which was kind of a horrible job, but it was very good when they were done, uh, make our own sausages. And we would do our hams and our bacon. And then my father and I built a smokehouse and had like a 20 gallon barrel that we offset it. And we would cold smoke and we'd smoke uh, the bacons and the hams and other meats like this. And to me, it was, it was a way of growing up. And, you know, yes, we had grocery stores on you know, all those kind of things, but 90% of what we ate as a family was either canned or preserved or frozen um, in different ways. And so um, going out and digging potatoes that night for dinner, going and maybe out of the freezer or whatever and grabbing a roast or steaks or those things or pork chops, whatever those things were. And then also picking fresh green beans. And to me, that really, really gave me, I, I think, a um, appreciation for, for cuisine and for ingredients and things like that. And so from doing that, even we had chickens. So we, we had not only butchered some, we also gathered eggs and we sold the eggs and those kind of things too. But having the freshness of those eggs really played a role in that. And so learning those different preservation techniques, uh, the same farm, we also had uh, fruit trees. So we had, we grew grapes and we had pears, apples and apricots, all these kind of things too. And we'd preserve. And I remember uh, my, my parents and my grandparents would come down and our neighbors who also did that, they had like a long like harvest tables and they would put out and they would make all, you know, not good for your heart, but makes you smile. Uh, Julia Child would probably smile at me saying this is that, lard crusts and so we'd use lard from our butchering we would cook down the pork and use that fat to make lard but make pie crust when the fruit was at the peak of um peak of, of taste and everything is make a ton of pies lay them out fill them with the filling butter sugar all those kind of things and uh, stuff uh, make crumble and put different things on top of them and then we'd wrap them up properly double wrap them all this stuff and we had a couple chest freezers and so did my grandparents and other ones and we'd freeze them all and then that way they were taken or we would process those and put them in ball jars bites and large ones as well but just seeing you know waiting for that to be done and what's funny is even a couple of the pear trees are still down at my parents farm in central Illinois where I grew up and we still go down there today and I bring up, we'll go pick a bunch of pears and stuff, bring those back. And then I do stuff here with them, but I also give them to our neighbors. I share those things. And I think it's important not saying, look at this, look at me, I brought you pears, but just enjoy them. They're, they're ripe, they're beautiful. You can eat them as if, you can, they're Bartlett pears, you can cook them, do what you want to do with them. But sharing those things, and I think even with, with here at the house here, we have a little garden and uh, gross herbs and other things as well, and a bunch of bunch of uh, vegetables too. But you know, sharing those things. I have a cherry tree that we pick every year, and so we have a bunch of cherries, and we made some stuff for our neighbors and things. And it's just it's just sharing, I guess, the love or the appreciation for food, and that's kind of where that kind of started. And then from there, um, after uh, doing living on the farm and things like this, that's when I moved up to Chicagoland per se. And I went to uh, Kendall College, and that's when it used to be in Evanston. And, you know, for me, it was having the love for, you know, and cooking-wise, I worked in a couple small restaurants, and it was never fine dining cuisine. It was just good places that made country-style food, country types of food, and simple ingredients, simple things. But we always say, and we talked a little bit the other day about this, that, you know, simple, uh, minimal ingredients, maximum flavor. And if you can get the most out of those things, you know, you don't need a ton. I remember... 
uh, one time at Latiti, and uh, when I was a chef de cuisine there, and Pierre and I were talking and doing things, and we were looking, we were going to demo the bisque, and so I had this bisque recipe that we used, and it had a three, it was like three pages, right, and it was just, you know, those kind of things, because you had to make the fish stock, then you had to make lobster, and then turn that into bisque, all those kind of wonderful things, and, you know, and Pierre kind of shared a story with me, is that, you know, we have that recipe, and you, and people will, you do that for a class, and they'll, they'll come to their They'll see that three-page recipe. They'll say, oh, my gosh, that was wonderful class. I loved it. They'll take that recipe home. They'll put it on a shelf. Uh, they'll come back a year later, and they're cleaning. They'll find that recipe. They'll pull it down and say, oh, that bisque was just wonderful. They put it back up on the shelf. And the point of that is they're not going to use it, right? And so you have to, and recipes, like I said, and, and it, it, not, nothing was wrong with that recipe. And it was uh, some of the true ways we made some things, but it also has to make sense too. And I think sometimes we don't have, you know, some, uh, some chefs, some places will have six pages of a, of a recipe. And, but it's not something you're going to want to, that's something that drives you to want to make those things. And so I think it's important to minimal ingredients, but maximum flavor. And what I mean by that is getting the most out of it. And so, I kind of had that mindset of the stuff we did during the restaurants I worked in high school and also on the farm and my parents, my grandparents cooking and those kind of things too. Um, found it pretty interesting. One, one quick thing is that my parent, uh, great grandparents, they actually, he was, was a farmer for many years and they moved to a small town near Princeville there and he was retired from farming. And I thought it was kind of funny because they opened it and they ran an A&W root beer stand. So you don't see too many of those nowadays anymore but they ran that for about three or four years. And I remember my great-grandfather saying, he goes, this, this cooking thing is so much more harder work than farming. He goes, I, I'm, I'm, so they had about four years, but they had the old school A&W root beer stand, had the little stools out front and all the things lifted up and all this. And um, I remember seeing many, I actually have a couple pictures here of that. And, uh, but just, I, that, that was kind of the, how it came from, from that. Whoops. So uh, from that, uh, I went ahead, I went to uh, cooking school and I went to Kendall College in Evanston. And to me, it was, it was a great introduction to more looking at uh, method and techniques and looking at, you know, just great, you know, just being with great people and great chefs. And, you know, we uh, looking at those, um, you know, first for our first classes and stuff. But I put, I made a little bit, Chef, uh, Chef Larry Smith was a great garmage chef, uh, Chef Hubert Martini. Um, really kind of inspired me with the French cuisine, uh, the classes he taught. He's now, while well, he retired from, so moved back to Kendall, he went to CIA and was teaching in New York at a uh, great school as well. Uh, John Draz, Chef John Draz, used to have a restaurant on Green Bay Road in uh, Winneka as well. Um, I'm still in touch with him. I'm actually going to see him in a couple of weeks. Actually, it, it's, it's funny what a, what a huge community of people, of chefs and those kind of things, but also what a small community that is. Uh, he's actually going to come to my colonology class in about three weeks and be our guest chef and it's, it's amazing what a what a small world that is to come around um i shared this story the other day about kendall i remember uh, about uh, the first time i met you a child and it was it was around probably in about this time of year i believe it was and she came to kendall and she was a guest speaker and uh had her the book the way to cook came out and it was it was it was uh, great to meet her and, and listen to her talk and everything else and i remember uh that year i had bought uh, for my mother for mother's day i bought the book the way to cook the jewish child's the way to cook and um i had turned the book on and so she was signing those books and so i remember uh, a picture of me leaning over my, with my uniform on and her signing it signed it to my mother 
and everything else. And I had a friend of mine take a picture at, when uh, Julia was doing that. So I was very grateful for that. So I had the picture developed. I put it inside the book. And then for Mother's Day that year, I gave that to my mother for Mother's Day. I think my sisters were even close because my mother was a huge Julia the Child fan uh, like myself. And I think it was the best year for me as far as giving a Mother's Day present uh, to my mother uh, for those things. And, you know, that, that's really, for us, it was, it was, she was, uh, you know, she really brought French cooking and, you know, and to, you know, I say to the United States to a certain degree as well. And, you know, brought French cuisine and the method of techniques and all the thing goes along with that. And I think as, <clears throat> cooking French cuisine, I think I'm, I'm grateful for all that she did for, for this cuisine and helping us to revolutionize and everything else. And then, you know, then other benefits with her later, later on as well, but just a wonderful lady. And just like I said, it was kind of, it's always, I always kind of joke because my mother still has the picture of myself, a younger version of me, I guess, uh, with Julia Child when she signed that book. And so it's still in her kitchen today. So I always kind of joke with my sisters uh, who the favorite child was that year. So. Um, but no, but many great chefs uh, getting, I did my associates there in culinary arts and then my bachelor as well for hospitality management. But, you know, to me, it, it's, it's learning that foundation. I, and I talk about this a lot with my, my students nowadays and, you know, building that foundation of knowledge and taking that knowledge in and then taking it from there and make, make it into working knowledge. And, you know, for me, it was always interesting and, you know, fresh out of high school, coming to Chicago, big city and all those kind of things too but it really made me wanted to focus on i don't say what i knew but just what i as far as raising animals and all those kind of things too but applying that to more refined type of cooking and using proper better methods and techniques and you know i'm grateful for uh the chefs and even my even some of my most of our all of my um students i was in my classes with and everything else it, it's interesting to see where they're at today um, but while I was going to Kindle, I also worked at La Boheme, which was a restaurant in Winnetka and uh, in the laundry mall there. And to me, there was a couple other gentlemen I was going to school with. They were working there as well. So I wanted to get in a, good, get in a great place. And, you know, I had a car, but you know, I didn't want to drive too far. And that's when I met uh, Chef Didier Durand was the chef there. And Chef Dennis Magoo was the sous chef there. And it really, it was very passionate. I mean, they're very passionate towards that. And we, we always kind of laughed talk and not talk years ago um you know certain chefs uh, very classic style and people will say banche sometimes and other people as well uh give you a good smack on the shoulder or the back or those kind of things um the french style of learning per se and, and it was always interesting um because you know even there you got a little, little tap on the shoulder or this and that very 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 little yelling once in a while and those kind of things but you know for me it was it was showing it was showing me their passion for what they did and they wanted perfection. Like we always talk about perfection's our goal. It's unattainable, but that's always our goal when you when you cook and you want to have fun with it too. You want to, you know, enjoy what you're doing. But um, La Bohème was a great restaurant for me as far as learning um, more about the French cuisine besides learning in school, but working with the different chefs as well and different cooks and different things and. I remember always holiday time, but the amount of bush de Noel that they would sell, not only to the patrons, but also sell whole cakes and those kind of things, uh, going in early to go ahead and make those and get those out and everything too. And it was kind of the old school, very European style where we would start probably nine o'clock in the morning and we'd go till two or three o'clock in the afternoon, two hour break per se, uh, then five o'clock start again and then work the night shift. And I remember as a young, probably 18, 19 years old, is that, you know, some of us during that two hour break, it was because it had been a long day overall, 
go down to the basement where there's some of the dry storage and we take a nap down there. It was, it was just like a quick little 20 minute nap just to refresh you um, for service at nighttime. But, you know, a lot of good memories there with learning and, you know, just learning from the from DDA and from Chef Durand and also from Chef Dennis Magoo. And it's just, it's just funny. I even, and then during times during Kendall, when Kendall was closed over the holidays, I would stay and continue working because, you know, as, as those, you know, those who in the, in the industry, if you train someone, you hate to have them leave December 12th and I'll say, I can come back when school starts back up in January. Well, no, you, you train them. You want them there during the holidays. And I remember going, I stayed at DDA's house a couple of years in a row and I stayed um, at Dennis's house. And I was actually, I was in touch with uh, Dennis. Uh, he's now down in Captiva Island. Uh, and they have a restaurant down there, him and his wife. And it was funny. I contacted her and she goes, she's remember me staying at their house with them over that because at school you have to move out of the dorms you can't stay in the dorms so I, I lived with them for about a week two weeks at a time during that time but it really it really showed me the passion they had for french cuisine and cooking and all those kind of things so to me it was a great experience uh from there as well uh, i also spent time um uh i would say also at a catering company in winneka also the same kind of winneka as well was a place called white truffle catering to me it was great it, it was very interesting because it was more production kind of cuisine or food that, I, that we were doing refined cooking that varies from small parties to large parties, but really working out of a production kitchen and those kind of things too and so um a gentleman and his wife uh ran the restaurant i mean sorry ran that catering place and it was very interesting. We did a lot of in-house catering at a lot of different uh, places. Kirk and Mary Anderson were the owners of that time. Kirk was the chef. He was out of California. And it was interesting to see kind of a, I'll say, nouvelle cuisine, but I would see just kind of a different aspect or looking at cooking, using a lot of the French method and techniques, but just different ingredients that were available, which I thought was very, very interesting with that too. And then, um, so that was enjoyable to do that. Uh, then I also was at the TT de Paris the first time. And so I was hired as one of the line cooks after graduation um, in doing that. And so that was interesting because it was, it was interesting when the first day I was there at the time, uh, Pierre Poulin, of course, was the owner and Jean-Marc um, was the sous chef there. And it was interesting to see when I first day I was there and they were both, we were, the restaurant was busy and they were both doing dishes and jumping in and helping those kind of things. And, I, and it's kind of thing where you see something I say all the time after seeing this that day it still stays with me today as if I tell my students I said work as if you're the owner or the manager per se, but work as if you're the owner do the right thing is what it comes down to and you see a great chef like Pierre and like a great chef like Jean-Marc and you see them helping do dishes and helping do all this kind of stuff they weren't standoffish they were doing for the best or the, the, the best for the for the restaurant and that still stays with me today and, and leading by example you know, they didn't have to jump in and help do those kind of things, but they did it because it was the right thing to do. And besides the cooking and the cuisine and those things too, but also the work ethic, I thought was 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 very interesting to me. And um, you know, working with Pierre for those uh, couple of years before I came back, uh, he was a great mentor. I mean, for sure, we were always one thing he always said that we always talked about um, when he retired is that we were both on the same page for 14 years together. We never had an argument. We always had the same focus. Um, and he taught me a lot. So um, just interesting to hear that. Um, also being there, uh, another chef that was Chef Cuisine was Rob Macy. 
Um, he had his, after he left Latiti and then he went on to open uh, Harvest Moon Cafe, which used to be in Woodstock and those kind of things. And it was, it was interesting too, because I was interesting to see how he ran the kitchen, the the kitchen. And I think it's important, you know, making great food, but you also have to have the right management things. And for us, cuisine and ingredients and all those things are, are techniques, of course, are great too. But kind of we talked about earlier um, the other day was that, you know, how to lead the kitchen, how to motivate the kitchen and, you know, yelling and screaming, all those kind of things. It works to a certain degree, but I think you have to you have to be invested. And I've noticed a lot, even with the colonology aspect of, of the, the different places, even food manufacturing and processing, a lot of the owners that we do the tours with, with my students is that, the owners know everybody's name. It could be a huge operation, but they know everyone's name in there. I think that people really can relate to that and, and they engage invested into that. And I think it's the same thing with, uh, with cooking. And that's where Pierre was very good with that. And he was good with his clients and customers. Yeah. And so he all, and then, you know, doing that, but also in the kitchen, he was invested in us as well, but making that great food and making, and, and working together as a team was important too. Um, the Latiti also gave me a nice introduction say, to contemporary French cuisine. So we're using similar method and techniques, but but doing different things with them and you using uh, sous vide processes and other processes and other ingredients too, and looking at things in a lighter or fresher way, which was great to have that too. And um, I think that was, it was a great situation for that. I still remember Eve Thores who wrote, uh, wrote his books and um, he wrote a very, very well-known chef as well. And he would come to, when he would come to Chicagoland uh, for different things. We used to do the Vitell Club brunch. And that was a French-born chef club, which, which was great. And they used to hold that quite many years is at the, the Ritz-Carlton. And I always remember um, they called one time and Pierre and I would go, we'd ride together, go down to do that. And we'd cook at the moment. We wouldn't be in the kitchens and other chefs would come really. And that's, it's great. But for us, we kind of had it down to a system, him and I. And so as the start at nine o'clock, we'd get there about eight o'clock, 8.15, 8.30. And I remember one of the times coming down, they called Pierre on his cell phone. They go, where are you at? And I said, well, we're, we're unloading right now because some of the chefs have got there at six o'clock in the morning or 5.30. And they're back there in the kitchen running around trying to fight for space and everything else. And we had a little cart we rolled in, we set up and we served 500 people pretty easily like that. And so to me, it was and it was fun because we were cooking at the moment. And I think it, for us, I like that because, you know, just like if you make something fresh, it's just in the flavors, I think it's so much better and it's incredible. And I think it's interesting. Um, and also people like that little show as well, but have searing that piece of pork or that salmon, you have a sauce there or a ragu or some kind of relish or whatever you're doing with it. It just makes it, it makes it incredible. That's like, we have, we have friends come to our house, chef friends and other just neighbors and stuff too come. And we'll cook, we'll have, you know, even if they're not, in the, they're, they're, they love they love to watch cooking, so a lot of them have to have a glass of wine in their hands, kind of recommendation when we're cooking. But they'll jump in and give a hand and help with those kind of things. And so I think it's fun is that we always say, um, and it's a common phrase, I'm sure all of you heard it, but they say some of the best memories uh, are gathered around the table and being together. And uh, or some of the fondest memories is, is, is gathered around the table with great food and great wine and things like that too. So. It was uh, always interesting, but when Eve Thuras used to come, it was always funny. And something that, that when and Chef Bonche came and Patrick Chabert and other ones that came and Michelle Tournier had came and they all came to dinner that night. And I remember talking and, you know, it was a great table. I mean, I was, I was uh, astounded and happy and proud to have them at the restaurant. 
And I was talking to Sean uh, Monchet a little bit before he'd, he'd come in and I was talking off the side. We were talking about, you know, about the menu, what we're going to do and this and that. And it was interesting. And his comment kind of stuck with me. It still does to this day. And he goes, he goes, I know you're going to give us great food and great service, but he goes, to be honest with you, I'm watching all the other tables and watching how they get taken care of and how the food is. And it really kind of hits home when, when he said that, because you want to take care of everyone in a restaurant. If you, so that, to me, that would kind of stuck with me because in making that great food, not just because those are great, wonderful master chefs or incredible chefs, is that we want to make the same food for everybody. And so that's something we talk about with our, our students is that make great food. All we ask you to do is cook with passion today. Have fun when you're doing it and be proud of what you put out like that. And I think that's important uh, for people to do that. Even the one time Ethereus came and they were, his wife was with him as well, of course, and she had jet lag. And so they had a great dinner and Mrs. Therese was out in the car sound asleep. She slept through the night. She didn't come, not the whole night, but she didn't come in for dinner. She was tired from the jet lag and she was sleeping out in her car the whole time we had the nice dinner for them and everything else. But we still kind of joke about that too. I think also um, it was a proud moment for us cooking that same thing at Latithia as well. Uh, when John's wife, Doris Bonche, we had her birthday celebration, her 80th birthday, I believe, uh, at the restaurant. And to me, the different chefs that came in uh, George Perrier from the Beck Finn, other chefs as well from France came and it was, it was amazing because it was, we were cooking, you know, we, and we always cook for matter if it's a, if it's a great chef or, or a customer, those kind of things, but always, always that cooking passion, but it was just, it was just unbelievable, like surreal as a chef and, you know, learning about these people and, and those kind of things and working with these other people, um, to have them in the restaurant. And, you know, our goal was to make great food. That was the goal to have them enjoy themselves, but it really kind of brings uh, bring us back to what, why we why we cook. We cook not just you know you, you can cook to feed yourself and have something to eat, but we, the cooking with passion to make someone happy. And you know one of the greatest things that I learned over the years, and uh, others and Pierre has shared that with me too, is that you know and when my wife and Susan owned the restaurant as well, would be on a busy night, would be the lookout around the corner, right? If you're back in the kitchen, come out for just a quick second in the alley. And you'd see people enjoying great food. Hopefully, that's that's a goal, right? Have great food, but great wine, great cuisine, and great conversation. And I think that's what life's about. Hear them laughing, have them enjoying themselves, right? And it's not just the food, but it's also the atmosphere, the how, how the wait staff reads the table, takes care of the table. And to me, that was the biggest, you know, all those awards and things that we had won. But the biggest thing was having someone leave with a smile on their face and, and because of, hopefully because of the cuisine and the service, but also the ambiance and the people they're with and everything else. And it was make, life is very simple. And, and so to me, it, it's that quality time spent with family and friends, or maybe just a loved one, whatever the case may be, but really enjoying those kind of things. And so it makes, and it, that's the things that inspire me um, with my students, but also inspired me with the kitchens that I work in because everyone there had a lot of passion for that. Um, during that time, um, uh, working there as well, uh, while I came back, I also work at a resort in Florida, not only it's Chicagoland kind of a thing, but I work at a resort in Florida in Fort Lauderdale. And that was great because we were doing parties for 8,000, for 2,000, and we would, you know, it'd be incredible. So I worked, but I also worked in the Garmage area. I worked in the banquet kitchens, in the pastry shop, and they also had a restaurant called the Renaissance, and it was a fine dining cuisine. The chef was an English gentleman, 
and it was great. I mean, it was just the same thing. It was using a lot of French methods and techniques, but just great cooking and, and, and a strong kitchen and great kitchen working together. But it also showed me, you know, do, those when we weren't doing 8,000 parties of 8,000, that was more in the banquet kitchen. But in the Renaissance, and just like Latiti and just like La Boheme and other places too, is that everyone in the kitchen was invested or engaged and they wanted to make great food. And to me, that that's what really, and it kind of brings me back to my childhood of, you know, raising those crops, raising those gardens, preserving, canning, all those kind of things played a role, um, which was great. And then I left, left went back to Kendall for a while uh, and then worked at, worked, uh, at my truffle. That's my work there. And then I came back as uh, when Pierre was looking for a chef de cuisine. And um, at that time, he contacted me about it. And it was, I was happy. I was, first of all, I was very proud to be asked uh, by him to come back. I, I guess I had made an impression on him. And, you know, I, I, worked, I tried to work with that, kind of, you know, work. My mindset was always work as if the owner, do the right thing. And cooking with love and, and pushing those kind of things, pushing myself more than anything else. And so I was blessed and honored when he asked me to come back and, and do that. And so... Um, that's where him and I worked together. And then from that, op that opportunity, um, I was able to travel to Paris and also to work in tour at a chateau called Chateau Jean Bardet. And I wanted to, you know, learning at Kendall and learning on the job, different places, but I wanted to be in France and, you know, not just learning, but teaching this and this and this, right? Um, cause you can learn a lot, even if you're working a station or doing something in the kitchen by watching someone else do things and prep things and make things as well. And so when I was at uh, Chateau Jean Bardet, uh, Jean Bardet, very nice, him and his wife owned this small chateau. And I think one of the best thing was I was learning to speak better French. And so I was there probably a couple of weeks and we would take our peelings, we'd peel carrots and all this kind of stuff and mushrooms and all these things would come in. And I remember we'd have a, we'd have a container we'd, and we'd boil it, put in a couple of buckets. And the one during like a little break time, uh, one of the cooks would say, with, uh, pour le couchon. So I'm like, okay, what, what, what is he saying? He'd walk out the door outside the chateau and they had a big flower garden. They'd cut flowers fresh for the rooms and all these kind of things. And we'd have the garden, we'd go pick things and, and dig things up and stuff. And every day they would boil these trimmings or every couple of days boil and pour le couchon. So I'm like, okay, I need to find out where he's going with these two buckets. I'm, I'm going so to I'm gonna lighten your load. I'm going to help carry the buckets for you. Well, we took it on. And in the middle of tour, tour is not a big, a big city, but you know, big, big enough. And we had a pig. They had a pig on the chateau, on the property. And I kid you not, her name was Charlotte. And so we were feeding Charlotte the trimmings, all those wonderful things. Um, Charlotte had a good life until the following spring where they did like a celebration and uh, Charlotte was the guest of honor in the dining part of that uh, because we took a lot of the spring vegetables and leeks and mushrooms and all these kind of things. And we actually uh, fabricated uh, Charlotte. But uh, I just remember the first time I couldn't figure out where they were taking these two buckets uh, to take to that, to do that. And then on my time off, uh, on days off from there, and it was very, because very, very regional cuisine, which is, it was, it was evolving or changing when I was in France because the older chefs, or we, we don't say older, we say even myself, I'm more seasoned. I'm seasoned, I'm not older, I'm just more seasoned. Um, that we would, uh, very regional cuisine and getting items just from there. And the younger French chefs that were starting to come up uh, in those different uh, restaurants and places like that uh, were taking ingredients from not only other regions of France, but also other parts of the world, which was very interesting. And I remember um, going 
um, and going to Chinon and uh, the maitre d' or the sommelier from the chateau uh, had a, some barrels and actually I went to Chinon and we drove down into the caves and we actually, I was on uh, pictures, um, we actually bottled wine and uh, for this for this winery, Olga and I can't the last name, the name of that is right now, um, but they're still in business today. We at Benny's, I see their wine. Other places, I see wine, but their wine is still there. I still have a bottle that I brought back from France, uh, carefully with like six pairs of socks, clean socks, wrapped around it in my suitcase, and I brought that back. And it was uh, one of the bottles that we had, but they were very hospitable, very nice. So we I sat on this machine. We had corks and a hot and a bucket of hot water, and on the machine, the machine was probably four or five hundred years old. I mean, it was really, really old. And I was I was corking the wine for them down in this little uh, little. Yep, that's exactly the name. Yep, it's R A. I think is the last the way it's spelled. But um, very very hospitable, nice people. So we got done doing our work for the day, and we went back and had uh, some little aperitifs and had snack and hard boiled eggs and just wonderful wonderful memory of that. And it was uh, so I always make a point. Um, so I have their wine downstairs, uh, some of the wine downstairs, the, the one I brought back, I still have it, but other ones as well. And it's just just a great memory, just and I'm a history buff as well. So I, I not only making that and going down in those caves and seeing this huge barrel and these old fences locked in and everything of wine and then taking that and then turning that in, bottling that. And then they had a little processing and doing those wines, which, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, and then another time I was able to travel like a working vacation per se, and that's where I'd went to, um, I had went to, um, restaurant Michel Roustan, and that was in, um, in Paris and he had seven restaurants and I worked at his namesake, not too far from the Arc de Triomphe. And they had the restaurant and then around the corner was the beach, the bistro next, translation, the bistro next door. We shared, we actually, uh, shared kitchens together too. And, um. We, uh, it was interesting because for them, it was very, you know, Paris was the largest city, huge, and it was always kind of funny, very European style of dining because the first French people didn't come out until 10 o'clock. And so it was always interesting. If there was an eight o'clock table, 8.30, they used to joke that it was the Americans coming to eat right away because Americans want to eat eight o'clock or you know, in this country, right? Seven o'clock, 7.30, maybe eight o'clock is kind of a prime seating area. But uh, they always did joke because I was the only American in the kitchen. They would joke, uh, your people are here early. He goes, so he goes, they go, us French, we come at 10 o'clock. We'll sit and relax, have a glass of wine. We'll be here till midnight, one o'clock. And so it was funny to do that um, with them. But I learned a lot about, you know, a lot about true, great cuisine uh, as well. And again, not just working, but teaching my hands and things you see and things you remember. And right down, I'm a big note taker person. I'm a visual learner. And just writing those things down and, and, and transferring those things, how we could utilize them or what, what was interesting. And um, it was very interesting to see that as well. It was, I think, I, I think, I think I did a good job. I felt I did a good job because the, uh, the last day before I flew back to the United States, they, we got off work around one o'clock in the morning, one thirty, And at the time they wanted to take me to the disco, right? So the, the dance place. So the whole kitchen, um, Michelle Stong did not go. But the rest of the, all the chefs, the cuisine and the sous chefs, and all the, they all had took me out. And so I ended up uh, going to the disco till about uh, five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And then I jumped on the plane to come back to come back to the United States. So it was uh, it was interesting. And then I get on the plane. We're on Air U.S. Air France. I'm sure Air France and coming back. And then I see uh, a friend of mine. Um, 
uh, Dominic uh, Tong, who owns Chez Moi in Chicago. He actually was at Bistro 110 as well. And because uh, when I met him years ago when he was at Bistro, when he came to, from France here to Bistro 110, and uh, it was it was funny to see him on the flight. He was home visiting people. So we ended up, I stayed awake the whole eight hour flight and we shot the breeze the whole time and talking and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and so I got off the plane and at that time, my daughter was probably four or five years old, four years, Emily was four years old. And my wife was there with the stroller with my son Bryce in the, in the stroller and my daughter was holding the stroller next to him. And Dominique got off ahead of me and walked out and he knew my wife, Susan, just professionally. And he comes over, he's a kind of, a, those who know Dominique's kind of a big guy, uh, comes over and gives my, my wife a kiss on a French kiss on both cheeks like that. And Emily goes over to him and he goes, oh, how are you? And Emily kicks him in the leg. She goes, you're not my dad. You can't kiss my mom. <laughs> and so then uh, I got off. And uh, so Emily was very upset with Dominique at that time. Um, but then later we explained, but it was just funny that, because uh, we had, and like I, I still have respect for Dominique. And when he, I remember when he first came, um, to be sure 110 and now I guess it's one place, but uh, just kind of fun memories with that as well. Um, and, and working in, Fr in France also, you know, is interesting with the passion that people have and the appreciation for food. And that really kind of hit home to me going back to my days of, uh, you know, on the farm and the country and those kind of things too. And it was, it's inter it was interesting and people have that here, of course, as well, but just, it's just living life. And I think that's really, really interesting because for myself, that's always something I, I wanted to do. And like I said, Pierre was a great, is and was a great mentor of mine because of his passion and also the balance, right, between uh, working and enjoying life at the same time. I think it's important as well um, to have those kind of things. And, you know, uh, then when my wife, who also went to Kendall, uh, Susan, uh, she was the class behind me uh, at Kendall like that. And then... And it was great because in 2004, when we took over the restaurant or bought the restaurant from Pierre and Judith, we wanted to continue that legacy and continue, you know, what um, what was started there before them um, with the previous owners as well, with Christian and Agnes uh, Ziegler. And uh, so that was our goal was continue the contemporary French cuisine, but continue to do things and continue to, to, to push the envelope on great flavors and cuisine and, and what was available, right? Things, that, especially with, with ingredients that we could get and more global ingredients and different cultural ingredients, but you infusing those or utilizing those um, in our cuisine. And myself, um, I enjoy the savory side because it's, it's, it's by taste, right? And we use taste as an acronym, right? The word taste. So a T is in taste, A is in analyze, S is in season, T is in taste again, and then E is in evaluate or execute, and how it goes from there. It's something we teach as well. And it's something you do all the time at home. If you're tasting something, you taste it. And our goal, no matter if it's professionally or even at home here too, is you have that first bite, or if it's a dessert or you're making some pastry-wise, you have that first bite. In your mind, you want to say, I can't wait to take that second bite as well. And so we always kind of joke with our students, and I say joke, but we tell our students, is like, you want people to want to have to take that second bite. They can't wait to have that second bite of whatever that is, right? No matter what you're making, a canapé, to a soup, to a salad, to an entree, to a dessert, all those kind of things. And, and I said, you know, all we ask is you to bring the best that you can today. And I've learned over time from different chefs and, and from working with other cooks and things like that, too, was to... To, to have that passion and, and have that and, and, and be engaged, right? And, 
because we it's not just me and, and and that's something that again pierre had taught me as well that you know even though as a chef or a chef owner you take the compliments you also take the complaints and you have to know how to how to cycle those through as well and also come back to the staff and tell you know talk about the great things and promote themselves and promote them as well and this is why we do it and i remember um, with all the accolades we had in front of the, the TT and the, the inside the little vestibule when you come in the, in the door there. And it was never a conceited thing. And we always used to take the wait staff and we'd take the kitchen and say, this is why we're going to push you. We want you to be your best because we're pushing to be our best because not that it's my name or your name on the sign or whatever that is, but it's people are, are choosing us, to, that people are choosing to come to our restaurant or come to the restaurant, wherever that is, or place you're at. They're coming there because they have a choice and they decide they want to come to you or come to that restaurant for the passion and the pride and the elegance that you have in cooking. And I think that's important um, for the next generation of culinarians is to think about that and to think about how to, how to best have the uh, situation with that. And, and to cook with pride and cook with passion and taking those that minimal ingredients, maximum flavor thing. And from that, it was a great, you know, eight years with my wife working together. And it was uh, people would say, how did you work with your wife? I, I can't work with my wife or spouse or whatever that is. But my wife is also a very good chef. And we, we never really fought at all. We all kind of we took care of our different aspects of the restaurant operation together, working together. And we we also we did a lot we did a lot of test cooking at home um, and then did test cooking with the kitchen as well because we worked on different recipes ingredients and menus and things like that but it was a great teamwork and you know I, she had a good background um, with Italian cuisine and also other things as well and it really came together and it was uh, some of the best eight you know, the best years of my life working together as the same goal and working with um, with our cooks and everything, and with the front of the house staff and, and all that as well. Um, I think think we you know, we saw great examples with uh, Jean Monchet and Doris working together. We saw with Pierre and Judith working together. Even Bernard um, and his wife as well at Le Vichyssois. We saw this, but you know we had many competition out there as well. But we had a mutual respect because I remember many times with Roland and Mary Beth and with Jean and Doris, and then even with Michael Lack, who was there. Um, with other chefs, even with DNJ Bistro, with uh, with Mazzato and Dominique and them, but if we needed things, I remember a couple times that uh, they would call or Jean would call or even Roland would call and say, "Hey, do you have any foie gras or do you have any caviar or Dover sole?" things, and it would be funny because you hate to tell the customers no, right? Because anybody, right? If you go to a place, your favorite place for whatever or your bakery or wherever you go to, and you hate to say it was no. So it'd be funny because we'd send one of the cooks or we would, I would run over there, or Susan would go. I, we had Roland come two times to the back door. We had uh, Michael Ackwitz come to the back door, even John Moche. And it was always kind of funny because it was a mutual competition, but it's very mutual respect. And we just didn't like, and the customer, I don't think any of them really knew it, but on both, all those restaurants, even D&J and Vichy Swaff, sometimes we do the same thing a little farther drive, but that we would share ingredients if we needed to. And it was a mutual respect for each other. And it was, it was just, it, it was, I thought it was pretty neat things. I remember taking soft shell crabs over to La Francais one night, uh, just real quick in the back door, said hello, cause I had to get back and they were busy as well. And it was just, it, it, to me, that shows that, that bonding or that family. And I think not just with French cuisine, but just the bond, the family we have with culinary arts and those kind of things. And I think it's in, incredible. I had a, uh, there's a chef named uh, Chef Stephen Genta. He's with Cargill. He's a certified master chef. 
and uh, I've known him for a long time, good friend of mine. And one of his people that worked with him is also a chef for Cargill. I talked to him 30 years ago. He, is a, he was actually, when I actually went to Kendall, he was actually a couple of classes ahead of me. And it was funny, we picked up right, we left off per se 30 years ago and his story to how we got to where he is today. And so when we sold the restaurant and moved on and all those kind of things from I started teaching uh, part-time at um, the Art Institute, Illinois Institute of Arts in Schaumburg and also at the College of DuPage and those kind of things. And I was asked to go, the, I was thinking about going back down to Kendall, but for myself, I'm not a big wanting to drive down, down to Chicago and back and forth every day to commute. I think just, I'm not a good fan to be in the car for an hour and a half, two hours, hour, whatever the case may be. And it was, it was interesting making that transition from a, um, from a professional industry going into teaching. And, you know, for me, I used to love having interns and we had many interns from Kendall, from uh, CIA, from other cooking schools, the College of DuPage as well. Um, coming and it was great to see them evolve in that six months that they stayed with us and most of them a huge percent stayed with us full-time after they graduated they stayed with us part-time and then stayed with us full-time I remember one gentleman um, it was funny he was a mechanic for Bill Lynn was a mechanic for many many years and the Tribune even did an article on him because they made the, the heading was uh, going from 10w40 to extra virgin olive oil because he made that transition from being a mechanic per se and into cooking, going to school and working with us and then continuing on with us. And actually was ended up being down the road, a uh, sous chef that I had. And um, it's just that passion that he had that he always had with that as well. And, you know, as a chef instructor at, at, um, at the College of DuPage to me has been great because I like the baking and pastry for more the exact science part of that as far as scaling, perfection. And it's very front loaded, right? So if you are a person who loves baking and pastries, you can mess around or you can tweak with the flavor aspects, but it's very front loaded where you make it, bake it in the oven or finish it in the oven, those kind of things like this. And you put a lot of accuracy in the beginning and then the outcome will be right away. If you didn't scale correctly, if you didn't do all the things, proper method and techniques, it's going to show. I like that part of it, but I also like the savory side as well. When you're going and you go forward for morel mushrooms, or I remember this past fall, I brought back some big, huge puffball mushrooms, so like big volleyballs in the in the um, in the woods, and down to my parents' that same farm I grew up on. Um, I brought back like three or four big ones uh, from the farm, and took them to my class and shared other classes as well. And because we would forage for those puffball mushrooms, and I remember Pierre would also go foraging, bring them in, or chicken of the woods or hen of the woods mushrooms in the springtime as well. We would get those. Um, I think a great story, we were morel hunting. It was myself, Pierre, and another chef uh, from the south suburbs like that gentleman, very nice gentleman. And he had met us and we were in this forest preserve. And so with myself and so Pierre and I rode down together and the gentleman called. And so not, not sure, I grew up on a, in the country. We, we took little sacks and bags and things and went out foraging. We knew like, kind of like your, your favorite fishing spot. You don't like quite tell everybody where those morels are kept. And over there someplace or that fishing spots over there. So I remember going down there and our friend called us and he said, what kind of coffee you want? So all of a sudden we show up and he's got Starbucks coffee, which is not something I normally had on the farm, those kind of things. So we're out there and we're out there mushroom hunting so myself Pierre, this other gentleman we we found a few here and there and 
my friend, he was taking his phone and he's putting the GPS so that way he could come back next year and know exactly where they're at, which was kind of technology was a little bit different, something interesting. And we kept hearing bang, 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 kept hearing noises. And that's kind of strange. Those are gunshots. I'm like, that's what's going on. It's kind of strange. So we went all the way. Then we had packed some lunch and everything else. So we went back, had lunch, and then went back and forth. We heard bang, 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 bang. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And we come back out to the vehicles, and then there is a couple of gentlemen walking out of the woods carrying hunting guns. And as they walked out, we saw a sign next to that that said, uh, no mushroom hunting during turkey season, and had the dates of the turkey season that was that week that we were there. So we were three big turkeys who were walking around the woods, mushroom hunting, while people were hunting turkeys, hunting there. And... Peter and I said, we made it. We told each other, we're not going to tell our wives until we get home. Let them know we made it safe. We didn't want to say that we were in the woods, maybe getting shot at because they thought we were big, three big turkeys walking around. Um, the positive thing, we found a bunch of morels. The negative thing, we might have got shot that day if we weren't careful just with that. But it was just, there was a little sign that we didn't know. And like I said, we weren't, that wasn't our area we knew. This general friend of ours, chef friend of ours, uh, took us there. So it was kind of interesting to that. But um, what's interesting with, with myself now, and there's a the school has a restaurant, has a Waterleaf restaurant, which is all student ran. Um, my wife, Susan, she takes care of that a couple of days, American regional cuisine there, but um, doing, and does a great job with that. Myself, I teach a variance of baking and pastry classes and uh, culinary classes, and then also colonology is something that's very interesting. And to me, it's kind of the, how, how you have a research chef, a research scientist, and they also have a chef and they kind of how they come together and how, you know, because a chef can make, I, I believe, can make things taste good. Not that a food scientist can't, but that food scientist can have that shelf stable and all those things that go involved with that. But sometimes we've seen over the years how that colonology has kind of evolved and giving that flavor, adding more flavor to that. Now, a fine food scientist can do all those kind of things as well, but a colonology, a chef, a research chef, R&D chef, or those kind of things can help with that. I think it's interesting with our students is, is trying different techniques and trying um, working with those food processing manufacturing companies. And so for our students, I think it's interesting. It's another avenue, right? Because years and years ago, um, I joke with my students. I said, they had just invented the wheel and then I was born like the next day. It was pretty exciting. And from that, uh, they, you know, you have that food, you have that cuisine and you wanna make it great. And how can we do that to make it shelf stable and last longer, things like this. So, you know, having that ability to do that and to work with those and understand what ingredients do and how they, different methods and techniques and the ingredients, how that works as well. So it's just very, very interesting um, with the food science part of that as well. But even on the, in our, our culinary students, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, uh, they always say, they always have chef Maddox-isms is, is, is the quotes and I guess, I guess I see a lot of phrases in class or a lot of quotes in class, um, but it's, it's all meant to, to inspire them, to engage them, uh, to have them enjoy, you know, uh, what they do and have that passion and whether if they're going to go on and do that professionally or just want to for their self growth, right? And people, people take classes just for self growth and, and, you know, self education and learning those kind of things too um is important and so it's, uh, it's always funny to see them evolve just like our interns do and for those and you can see the ones that are going to be great or could possibly be great down the road and just give them different avenues to go down because years ago it was either culinary or you did baking and pastry and nowadays we see so much a huge uh opportunities out there 
um, for culinary students or for bacon and pastry students or even colonology students. And so I think it's something that was not there years ago. And what's with, with talking about that community thing, as well as I'm still in touch with many, many people I work with, not just chefs, but also some of the cooks that over time that are on my age or a little older, or a little younger, and they're doing more of the R&D work and doing those kind of things, which I thought was pretty interesting uh, to still be in touch with them, which is great. And it just shows that community that we have um, with other professionals um, in this industry that we have as well. So I think that's kind of interesting to hear those kind of things too. So a lot of information. I hope that, hope that was interesting. I don't know how many people shut it down, turned off, say he's crazy or whatever, but I, I think it's, you know, I think by, for me, it's all about being grateful for the people I've worked with and the people I've been in touch with and that helped me a lot. So it's, um, yeah, the, the, if I can answer, yeah, the restaurant is still open. It's not open right now because we're, we're well, we're on spring break per se for this, um, but it's open for American regional cuisine is Monday, it's going to be, I'm sorry, Tuesday nights and Wednesday and Thursday lunches. Wednesday nights at the college is international cuisine. And then on Thursday nights is contemporary cuisine. So we have a few more weeks of that. Uh, we're week, week 11, I believe next week. And then during the semesters, it closes per se, just because it's all student run um, for that. So that's called the Waterleaf. If you go to the cod.edu, you can look up the Waterleaf restaurant and pass it there too. We also have a fast casual um, restaurant uh, as well that we do Tuesdays and Wednesdays for lunch. And then there's a little market, culinary market as well that we do. Um, and so it's just a great outlet from what the students make. Um, so we don't make small batches. We, you know, we learn methods and techniques and we, we teach all those kind of things. And myself continue to learn, right? I, it, to me, it, it's always learning, always looking for different challenges for myself. Um, kind of goes back to where I said, you know, you never stop. You should never stop learning. As a chef, I don't know at all, Hard, not, not even close, but I, I, I continue to learn and learn from other people or even learn from my students, right? Things that they do or life experiences that we have and other chefs, right? Uh, in the industry. I mean, uh, all those kind of things. And I used to enjoy doing those different benefits that we did downtown and things and seeing other chefs and talking to them. And, you know, to me, it, it's continually learning. And I, myself, even I go to seminars and stuff, even for myself and to pass it on to my students. Um, but this just that, that, that passion for, for ingredients and cuisine and, comes down to it is cooking with passion and cooking for people for loved ones that's that's the key for that so that was interesting it, it was it was savory and and thank you so much um we're gonna be i'm well what we do typically is open this up to chat questions and kathy will read the questions but we're gonna do something a little different tonight this is like a, we're almost channeling. Remember the show, This Is Your Life? <laughs> they would bring people from your past. Um, typically, I start out asking questions, and then we turn it live, and then we turn it to the chat questions. Tonight, we're bringing somebody from your past, the person who's responsible for channeling you here tonight, uh, your friend, food, uh, food writer, author, Cynthia Clampett. Uh, and Cynthia is going to uh, to give a little uh, a minute or two on her observation about you, and she's going to ask you a few questions. And uh, she knows you so well, so I know she's written about you. And anyway, Cynthia, uh, 
take it away. This is your life, uh, Chef Michael. <laughs> well, when you start off, I thought it was like a dating nap. When you started to introduce me, I go, oh my gosh, I was like a dating nap. I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but she loves you. No, no, but I meant in the beginning of the whole program. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, just, it's one of those things that, one of the things that makes it seem completely appropriate that you're teaching is that you were always teaching. But it was also always about community. And one of the things I have here is 20 years of menus from your wine dinners. Oh, yeah. Every month you had a regional wine dinner where you had picked a wine region and mm -hmm. then cooked all the meal, the whole meal, based on foods from that region. Yeah, to me, it was one of the, if I can just interject, one of the best memories, because working with Marcel Flory, who was a great sommelier, and then later on, uh, James, who also worked with us as well doing that. And to me, it was fun making those great, great dishes. I mean, to me, it was, it was, it was taking time and it was something we had a regular menu and did specials. But to me, I love doing the different uh, wine dinners, American regional, but also the French regional ones. And to me, it, it brought me back to when I worked in France and also brought me back to different places I had traveled and been and worked. And uh, to me, it was always a good challenge and always raising the bar of expectations personally, pushing myself and pushing um, in a positive way, my, my, my culinary, my culinary staff. To, to doing great things and that was always the goal well a couple of things that made it particularly fun is that a lot of the people you would see month after month yeah so there really was a community that was yeah. built i mean you had a great fan base there uh, yeah. the other thing that was fun is that when i went to uh paris in 2004 for for the it was a 200th anniversary of the coronation of napoleon the French thought I was great because I knew all the French songs, thanks to Marcel, <laughs> Marcel who would, Marcel. would sing Oh Champs-Élysées. Right. You know, <laughs> so, so it was really, you were really always, you were always teaching. Um, I still, I, I still have friends calling going, is there any way you can get him to make Bouillabaisse again for us? <laughs> so um, another thing too, though, you were talking about caring about people. And I remember when, I, well, I got to interview you for, North Shore mm -hmm. Magazine. So I got to spend the whole day in the kitchen and out in your garden because you had yep. an extensive garden there at Latiti. Um, but just the, the dynamic, the fact that everything was so well run, that everybody was so well treated. Um, but you also kept like documents on everybody who was a regular customer. Mm -hmm. And you knew it's like, oh, so and so is coming tonight. Make sure you've got this weird wine chilled. Uh, make sure <laughs> that you've got something. It's their birthday. Make sure. And I still have the menu that you created for one of my birthdays. Wow. How so, fun is it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it is one of those things where a lot of people talk about community and a lot of people talk about caring, but not everybody does it as well as you did. So, and, and, that, and that's, thank you for those kind words. No, for me, and actually for you, thank you for you as well. I still have the, I still have that, made a plaque at us, a joy of, joy of uh, cooking with Michael's my, joy cooking, of Michael. Yeah. Yep. I still have that plaque. And if I could turn the computer, it's, it's in the other room. I still have that hanging on the wall uh, from that. And it was, uh, it was a great memory. And, you know, we had that, you know, and keeping track, because it just, we used to say that, and it's, it, those of you who remember the TV show Cheers. Now, we, when someone walked in, we didn't yell Norm, like they did in the, in the TV program, but everyone likes to be recognized or feel home or feel comfortable with that. And by having those information, those notes like that, and I will say my wife, Susan, was incredible, sure. incredible. We had a POS system, we could put the names and put the information in there as well. But my wife, she is, a, I can't do it. She is, a, but she's a gift. 
because she could tell you what you what, what that she remember your conversation she had with that with yourself or with this customer um, and what they wore and what they it's just incredible and not because she had to because she was very engaging personality with yeah. that and so she, she was uh, she was a, a diamond for me because uh, I, I couldn't remember all those things that she's very, very good at. And she could pick up right from a year ago or last month when that person was there or six months ago. And, and I think that, and that kind of falls back into that. Everyone likes to be, uh, to be comfortable. Right? And, and, you know, when you wa- a welcoming, welcome home and knowing what their favorite table is or what their favorite drink is or what their favorite foods are, right? We used to do all kinds of things like that because, they can make memories anywhere. They could stay home, make memories. They go to another restaurant, but why they chose us. And we were grateful that they chose us um, to join us and be, and, and, and allowing us to be a very small part of their celebration or a very small part of their life. And if we can make them smile or have them enjoy that cuisine or have them enjoy that service and everything, then I, then I sleep comfortable and I did my job, but we did our jobs as, as a kitchen, as a restaurant, as an operation. And I think that's important. And I think that's that's a big part of that is, you know, showing that. I mean, it, it, it's, I think it makes a big difference and, it, you know, good good business, of course. But more than that, it's, it's more about the people and, you know, when they come in and, and knowing those things. Because we, we all like to be recognized or knowing, oh, my gosh, this, you know, this is your favorite table. Or we have this, like I said, this champagne chill down or this wine chill down. Um, and also for the birthday thing, right, and those weddings and things that we did. And it was always funny to have. Uh, couples who got married and uh, small receptions only at the restaurant, they would come back year after year. I remember one, not to take away from it, one year we had a croaking bush and they wanted a croaking bush, like a French wedding cake for the wedding. And so I remember I'm making, I'm making the puff of the pot of choux. We filled them with different types of pastry cream because they wanted the real French one. So I had built it on sugar, built this nice tower in the back of the vintage room. And then I made the sponge sugar, like with the, the handle with the, all the nails, right? Sponge sugar wrapped it around and put like uh, sugar butterflies and made out of cold sugar and made sugar. Beautiful. Left it in there, had the air conditioning was on, perfect temperature. Their wedding came back in the next day and the top fell off. And they were coming at uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. It's a phrase I like to use, I use at school. We have to make magic happen. So I made quick more pot of shoe. And my Susan was in the back making the pastry cream for me and all that kind of stuff. We made it, came out beautiful, but it's that crazy pressure because you don't want to come back to that customer and say, we had this beautiful, I took pictures of it and I still have them. And then say, sorry, you know, just like sharing the stuff from other restaurants, stuff sharing that. And so they, they still, they came back every year after that and made like a mini, easier, a mini small tables, tabletop, uh, broken bush uh, for them every time they came back every year. And I think making those memories are important. So, fun. Okay. Now, there's a question here that I'll ask in a minute that somebody else has asked, but I just thought I'd ask, what is it, what is it about French chefs and motorcycles? <laughs> I know I to me I love it. that was always uh when we took over I didn't talk about it, but when we took over it's it, I think it's the freedom of the road I mean it sounds such a such a crazy thing to say that but it's controlling uh, it's being outdoors and that's kind of my part of it but I remember we took over we used to call that the great American ride and I, I know that Jean Manchet Patrick rides Chabert rides them uh, uh Pierre did myself as well and we would do the Great American Ride. And it was always the funniest thing. We used to get a chuckle out of that because you're at a fine dining French restaurant and we'd have like about 50 motorcycles out front of the thing, people in leather and all kinds of biker gear on. We'd go for it. And Pierre would help orchestrate that, which was great. 
and we'd go for a nice thing. And then you know, we, we'd stop at a park every year, once a year ride, Great American Ride. And then we'd have like smoked salmon sandwiches and we'd have like uh, pork that I had roasted and sliced on, on baguettes. And then for dessert, I'm torching creme brulee in this park. So people, you know, typical bike biker food, right? Uh, you know, smoked salmon, pork loin, creme brulee, you know, all this stuff. And so we get back to the restaurant, all the bikes out there, and then we'd go ahead have a nice four four course dinner with that. And you know, it, it, talk about camaraderie and community, and it, it it was just greatest thing. And so I think, I think that for French chef, and I know Dominique rides as well um, uh, from uh, chez moi. Uh, just the freedom. I think the fresh air, the freedom of the road, and you know, just. I don't know. I, I like it. I love it. I know that Absolutely. for other ones it's too. It just always amused me. It's like you'd go yeah. in and it's like everybody would come in with a helmet under their yeah. arm and yeah. you'd have the big motorcycle ride every year. So we knew but when all, uh, the, all the French chefs. We, we, I knew uh, when Susan and I took over, I always knew when either Pierre was stopping by or Patrick or Jean Monchet was stopped by because we had geese that lived on top of the restaurant. Now they would be up there. And they would be honking because they would look over the back of the back door and we'd hear them honking. And then we'd hear the motorcycle, the motorcycles pull up and we say, we knew it had to be one of those three people stopping by to see us. Um, but yeah, just the freedom of the road, I guess. I don't, I now love the it. question that somebody asked, they, they said, have there been any women in the kitchen, kitchens that you've worked in? And I, I'm assuming they mean other than your wife. hundred percent. Yeah. Even like, uh, Beverly Kim, who's who's nominated for one of the James Beard Awards as well. She worked with us for a while as an internship. Um, we've had many, many, many women that we worked with over the years. And to me, it was it was great having uh, just a mix of people in the kitchen, a male or female, doesn't really matter, or even cultural things. To me, it was great. It was the people having the passion. And, you know, many, Ann Hildebrandt, there's another one now, it's Ann Drescher. She uh, works for... Um, a dairy company, and she does a lot of R&D work with R&D uh, research and development, and she's a corporate chef for them, a research chef for them. And that's from her and other other chefs, not just female, but male and female, I've actually joined what they call the RCA, which is Research Chefs Association, and also the IFT, which is Institute of Food Technologists, and that's kind of the colonology side of that situation. But, you know, working with, with, with all great people, and, uh, you know, to me, it was even, even chef, this is way back there, 30 some years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, chef Ruth Meinskaiser, she was a chef and I still, I tell the story to my students all the time. She was the chef I had in an introduction to culinary arts at Kendall. And she was, we don't say she's short. She was under tall, like five foot five, five, two, five, two, whatever. We don't say short, under tall, we say kind of like seasoned, not older, just seasoned. And I remember cutting and I had crossed my feet. And I was like across my legs, I'm chopping. She come up behind me and she kicked me in the feet. And she goes, you're gonna cook, you're gonna be a chef. You gotta stand up straight because you start crossing your legs, you get comfortable, you're gonna take a chance of cutting yourself. And you know, that kind of, and she was you know, she was trained very French style, that kind of uh, that tap on the back, that pat on the shoulder, she was trained that way. And so she gave uh, me a nice kick in the feet, which I didn't, she was right, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, she was right on that. And I, I shared that with my couple of students uh, a couple of weeks ago because one of the students had the legs crossed. And I said, I'm not going to kick you, but I'm going to tell you a good story. And I said, Chef Ruth Meinskeiser was 100% correct in her process because you get too comfortable, you're not producing, right? And so the question, I think Charlie Trotter said at one time, um, they said, are you working hard enough? Are you working fast enough? And both answers to those questions are no. 
and I thought that that's kind of interesting um, because you can always work better, more organized, faster, um, and all those kind of things. And so, again, our, our, our goal is perfection, unattainable, but that's always our goal. And uh, I think that passion, um, I keep using the word passion, I apologize, but to me, that's it's really what it comes down to. And have a love and making people happy, like you said, back to that community is making people happy. And sometimes that was the we have friends come over to our house sometimes and other couples, not in the industry, but come over and we have like 12 people or 10 people in our, uh, our dining room. And the biggest compliment we have is all you hear is knives and forks and spoons because no one's talking because they're enjoying. I hope they're they say they're enjoying the food and some nice wine and those kind of things, too. And, you know, some of the we even have them sign the bottle uh, wine that we're having just as a memory. And I think that's, that's what life's about. I mean, it's, it's friends and family and even people you don't even know. Like we're, you know, we do uh, some stuff for our church and things like that. And, you know, if you can help someone out and if food makes them happy or food makes people happy, not just feeling a hunger, but doing something beyond that. And, and I think that that means a lot, right? Cause you, when you do those, when you're cooking professionally or even at home, you're cooking with, with your heart and it really shows in the food that you make. And if, if we can express that to our cooks years ago, to now our students nowadays, and show how much passion that we have, you know, people lead, who's ever leading a kitchen or leading an operation or a business, all those kind of things, you want to emulate or you try to emulate the, the owner, the manager, the chef, or it depends on the operation, of course. But if you show that passion, even back to this food processing and manufacturing, these places we go to where the owners know everyone's name, that means something. Right. I mean, they don't have to, but they, they do it. On, and they know someone about the, their family or what's going on and how long they've been there, all those kinds of things. And I think in, in, a, in, a, in our world, my right, hospitality world. Right. I think as, as a kitchen, investing your time and energy into those cooks or culinarians and front of the house as well, it pays back in spades. It, it pays back so much because now they're invested. They're a part of some of the decision making. And they're going to put their best foot forward. And, you know, putting when they put that plate in the window, I always just tell our staff, you're serving a loved one. So serve when that plate goes in the window, you're going to do that's going to your grandmother or mother or dad. I always kind of joke. I used to say not for your mother-in-law and not for your father-in-law, not for an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. Other than that, for a loved one. And so at least make a little humor with that. But the idea was was cooking with 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 that in mind. And I think as, as a chef or a sous chef or a lead cook or even at home or whatever, Showing that passion, the students, in this case, my case, the students, I hope that they pick up on that. And it's always interesting um, to see that go from that love involved into their cooking and using those proper methods and techniques and using those great ingredients. And, you know, and it's interesting. I, sh I showed the real quick, I showed a quick story. I remember I showed the other day on Monday. I remember I was at my sister's house for Thanksgiving, and this is a couple of years ago. And I remember you know, Thanksgiving, I had turkey and all those kind of things. It was like, it was like Saturday, the day after Thanksgiving, probably afterwards. And I'm like looking through her fridge and looking through her cabinets. And I'm trying to find, you know, what, what I can make. So let's make something. We don't need to go out or need to so Let's make something. So I said, oh, you got this, this, this. I can make this. And she go, I'll, I'll make some lasagna. Easy, quick, no big deal, right? Just got some different things. I'll make some different lasagna. And all of a sudden she goes, just a second. So my younger sister goes over. And I'm pulling things out of the fridge and out of the cabinet. I'm going to make a sauce and I'll do mushrooms. I'm going to cut them all stuff. And she comes back with a, um, a piece of a piece of paper like this. She goes, I have the uh, I have the recipe. I have the recipe. I go, I don't need a recipe for lasagna. She goes, you don't. I go, no. She goes, oh, okay. I guess I'll put that one back. And it was just, 
it's funny because as, as learning, starting off school like that, recipes were golden, right? You had to follow the recipe exactly. And some people still do, which is awesome. But it was interesting when it kind of flipped for me personally, where yes, I can follow a recipe and I love to, but a lot of it's percentages or ratios and also cooking with what you have. You know, if I have portobello mushrooms or shiitake, uh, or if I have a uh, rutabag or whatever I'm you know, roast, a roast is a roast is roast. If I'm searing that, if I'm, you know, what am I going to do with the, the method and technique? All those things are involved. And where my sisters, I kind of made the joke, made the, my sisters never put pleasure and cooking in the same sentence. They never go together, never have pleasure in cooking. And so that's why she has a recipe and those kind of things. But it's interesting because to me at this point, and I can follow a recipe and I love to follow, I do, especially if I've never made that thing before. But if you look in your cabinets or home, what are we going to make for dinner or supper or whatever we're going to do is, is you just kind of pull it balancing, right? So we look at the five tastes, six, seven, we can go in deeper, but you know, there's sweet, sour, bitter, salty, umami. Then we can go to kukumi. We can go to kamthesis as far as the cooling, the spiciness, all those kind of things. But balancing, like, like make a vinaigrette, you make a sauce, balancing that is important. And through that acronym taste, we'll get you there. Um, by doing that but it was just funny that time she wouldn't got the recipe and she was amazed that I didn't need a recipe to make lasagna I said no I said, no. I said maybe in my beginning days 100% but nowadays it's just I'll make magic happen right and that's what we do and that's at restaurants that's what resorts that's what place good places I think do or even at home right you all of a sudden you have friends stop by uh, let's make some magic happen what do we have what can I make or what, you know what I, and that's kind of fun fun thing about it too yeah so Oh, by the way, Cynthia didn't, or Scott didn't mention it, but in just short of two weeks, Cynthia's going to be back talking about her book, Destination Heartland. It'll be on a Tuesday, not on a Wednesday, but two weeks from oh, yesterday. Uh, anyway, I have a, I promised to ask this person, they had to leave, but I don't, no worries. I promised to ask their question. They go, at Latiti, Michael produced very classical dishes. His greatest influence in Chicago was at the time that molecular cuisine and experiment cuisine was becoming increasingly prominent. I wonder how he felt about that food trend and his relationship to the other style of cooking. You know, molecular cuisine, I, I teach that in some of my classes. and I think it's very, very interesting. Um, I think you can go that away to a certain point but at the same token, I think it has to be great. No matter what techniques that you use or products that you use, or, you know, some of them, so I think some of this, I mean, I, I think it's very interesting, right? Some of those things, but part of me, it was never, some of that was is, to me, not real cooking per se. And it comes out, it's cooked, it's all edible, all those kind of things. And it's wonderful. It's unique. I, I love all that for those reasons, but it's not as, 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 it's not all the things that I, I would like to do. You know what I mean? I think when it comes down to it, and that's be classical, can be contemporary, using different products, using classical techniques, contemporary techniques. And some of that we take and we utilize. I, I, a good example is, um, you know, using a circulator, right, to do sous vide cooking. Incredible, awesome, wonderful. I read an article the other day. It's kind of a cheater for untalented chefs is what I read an article about. And it was kind of their chief thing because you said it, put the time and you're done. You put some stuff in the bag and all those things. And after reading the article, I, go, well, I guess that's kind of true because you're not really, it's not, it's cooking. It's a style of cooking, but you have to know the processes involved with that too. But I, I think it was interesting. Um, I think it is interesting about cuisine. And I, you know, we've done the gel noodles. We've done those kind of things. 
we never really did at the restaurant too much. We did do more contemporary, lighten things up and they've made more nages uh, and berry ghouls and things like this and twist on a hollandaise or baronaise and those kind of things as well. Um, but it has to taste good. And, and that's one thing that, uh, one thing in, in France is that was one thing that they commented about, this is just what they commented one time to me was, well, besides Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, of course, at that time. But they commented that American chefs like to make things look good and that the taste is secondary. And he says with French cooking, this one, one of the cooks with chefs were sous chefs for me at the time, that the French chefs make it taste good and looks or the appearance is important, but it has to be there. And, I, and I, that really stuck with me when I was a cook and those things too, because it has to taste good because you have something that looks incredible on the plate and it's dangling, it's wonderful. You take that first bite and it can be a letdown. It can be a disappointment because it's not there in whatever direction that you want that dish to go or who you're, you know, who you're serving per se. Um, and that, that really stuck with me years and years. And to this day, it still sticks with me. And we talk about it all the time with my students as well. And Susan and I talk about that too, is that it has to taste good because you can still make it look good and lay it out, fan it out, do all these different things, dangle it up and make a tea on or whatever. But it has to taste, has to be there because it's such a letdown once you taste it, so it, it, sometimes I say that respect, I say that with, um, sometimes you see a lot of uh, these specialty cakes and things like that. And I think they're wonderful, but sometimes there's just so much, for me, I'm not a big fond not fan or all this kind of stuff. I think they look beautiful, incredible. I just hope they taste as good as what they look like. And I think that's important um, visually, right? Because we eat with our eyes, right? So you don't go to the store and say, look for the burnt part or the pie or whatever that is, or the spongy uh, carrots, right? Rubbery carrots. Um, you look for the best ingredients and, and when it comes out, we eat with our eyes, but that taste has to be there. And it could be from, you know, grilling, barbecuing, smoking, roasting, braising, poaching, baking, right? All, all those different techniques that we do and understanding for biggest thing for us is that's kind of falls back to the culinology side of it. And then culinary arts too is on a protein wise, level wise, where it comes from on that uh, in this case, animal per se, if we go that way, where it comes from is it a muscle of locomotion or a muscle of support. And that really tells you which direction to go into as far as how to cook it. When you look at fish, look at seafood, right? Same thing is you look at, is it wild caught? Is it farm raised? How is it? And also you have the best thing in the land, but knowing how to proper technique and not for me, not to overcook it. I, I shared the story real quick the other day with my students and that can be open the kind of circles back to the farm again. My father, we had a grill, right? So you grill things and we, you know, we had beautiful steaks that we'd, we'd butcher and we'd cut these steaks. And my father did the grilling, it was kind of his thing. And he had two tools. He had a pair of tongs and he had a water bottle, a spray water bottle. And so we always had, our grill had high, low, medium, all that stuff on the grill. Um, his was always on high. He didn't even, he, he bypassed low and bypassed me right now every time. So that, that grill would be smoking hot. He'd come out, he'd put the beautiful steaks, beautiful steaks on there. Uh, T-bone steak or round steak or whatever, pork chops, whatever it was, put them on there, close it, and there'd be smoke bellowing out of that thing, just going crazy. And so he'd lift the lid and there's a fire. There's a fire going inside with grease and oil. He would take the spray bottle, spray it, turn the stuff over, spray it some more, close the lid, smoke fill brown powder. And so I always used to, I'd make the joke, I told the joke to my students, I said, I didn't realize what medium rare, I love medium rare beef. Medium rare was until I left the farm because all I knew was well done like a piece of shoe or leather because my father always overcooked the, the steaks way too much. And so it was, uh, it was, I mean, I, we did at the restaurant work with steaks, but 
my father was the king of burnt, overcooked, and his favorite tool was the spray bottle to spray out the, the grease fire going in the grill. And so uh, my students got a good look. And it kind of, and what it does, it tells a good story, but also hits home with them to remember, just like we had a whole pig today, we fabricated. And with the pork shoulder, right, the upper part is called the Boston butt, and the lower part is called the picnic shoulder. And a friend, a classmate of Sarah, she, they, she told me the story that and it's, it's a good memory. I told my students a great memory is that you know, how to remember what that Boston butt is on the top part. The lower part is called the picnic shoulder. Now, most people use the Boston butt for barbecuing and those kind of things. And she always says, Boston is in the north. He goes in. She's from Kentucky. She from Kentucky. And she goes, and in the south, we know how to picnic. So that was kind of her phrase that remember that Boston's the top part and then the picnic shoulder is the bottom part of the pig. And so my students thought that was pretty funny because it was true, but it's true. That's a good thing to remember. Boston's in the North. He goes in the South. We know how to picnic. So it was just little things that, and good stories will stick with people. And for us with students, and they bring back that memory and they say, chef, remember when you said this and talked about this and again, it engages them and then makes them want to do great things. And I think the same thing as myself as a cook, uh, years ago and as a chef I think all those things you're trying to inspire your people you work around whether you're a cook whether you're a sous chef or a chef all those kind of things it's inspire your team kind of what Cynthia mentioned to come together as a group and that camaraderie and trying to make great food whether it be baking and pastry sweet or savory items and uh, have that passion and, and, you, and, and that that's the atmosphere of the kitchen and in front of the house or the operation it really transcends into everybody. And here's your expectations. And I think that's, I think it's important in an operation. So how old were you when you decided that being a chef was your chosen profession? And if cooking, and what if cooking as a job did not exist, what would you do for a job instead? Oh my gosh, great question. Uh, I, myself, I, I would say probably in high school, I would say it was, and that kind of falls back to that foundation because I really, because that foundation of growing uh, vegetables and growing fruit tree and growing and then raising animals and all those kind of processes and taking uh, wheat and making flour out of that and taking corn and making cornmeal out of that. And I just liked how you had those things you put in the ground or you raise those animals and how it trends as, as you take care of those properly and properly taking care of those, those uh, feeding them and watering and planting and all that sort of picking weeds all stuff too. But, but then you get to have eat, eating those things, those great ingredients. And it, it was just that my parents never did fine dining cuisine, but it was more, it was more taking simple products or simple ingredients and making great things with those, a great stew, right? A great you know, bouillabaisse or a great, uh, we used to make a, like, a, like a pheasant stew and things like this and just making great things with that and the brining techniques and the curing we did and the smoking. I guess what it is kind of appreciation for, for cuisine. And when I started at this restaurant, I was actually uh, underage. I, I was 15 years old, I was 16, supposed to work. I actually started when I was 15. I remember going to this restaurant, it was a few miles away uh, in the, out in the country. It was like kind of a bar and grill place and no longer there, but it's the building still there. And I remember going in there and it was my first real job per se. And I got hired underage. But even if you go to Europe, that, that's a norm, right? You start doing your apprenticeship and things like that. But it really, it really showed me, uh, you know, showed me where, showed me cuisine and showed me, you know, that type of cooking. And at that point, I saw how all that came together in more of a public restaurant or public atmosphere. 
And, and, you know, even it was a country cuisine, not, not outstanding. I mean, as far as, you know, what things we were doing is very good food, but just wasn't as refined as what I did later in life. Um, but it did continue to show me that appreciation. So I would say in high school, sometime in high school, and I had a lot of fun working there. We worked hard. We worked a lot. Of, besides going to school, I was there four nights a week uh, working. And so to me, it was, it built that kind of thought process for me. So uh, where would you go to dine in the Chicago area to celebrate a special event? Well, see, for me, I, I, I'm i still stuck with uh, like back with uh, Le, Le Bouchon, even though Jean-Claude is no longer with us. I know his, his uh, wife and his sons are running those places, running his two restaurants, but also Chez Moi, which is Dominique's place like that. Um, you know, it, this COVID thing is... This COVID is a thing, I shouldn't say it that way, but it's really kind of slowed down and hurt those restaurants. And I think about, uh, and I speak to other chefs quite often about those kind of things. And, you know, to me, it, it's going out to eat and, and trying to support those restaurants, not only downtown Chicago, but also out in the suburbs too. You know, I think, with, you know, for us is supporting um, the other restaurants as well as we see those. Uh, even Michael Lackwitz's restaurant, uh, Restaurant Michael is a great one as well as the suburbs and those kind of things. So to me, if you can support any kind of restaurant, I think that's the way to do it because it's for sure as chefs and as owners, it's very challenging times these last two years. There's no question about it. And, and I think really, no matter where you go, you know, if you're looking for a great food or great cuisine per se and great service, you know, and, and, but also enjoy the people you're with too. And that, that's, I went out for Indian cuisine the other night with a chef friend of mine um, and had some, you know, very good Indian cuisine. To me, I'm always trying to look at different techniques and different things that we have. So that's it. There's one last question. It's kind of on the personal side, but at the same time, sure. you, you've been very open all evening. So how did you and your wife meet and did you make your own wedding cake? Uh, <laughs> uh, she, uh, I paid, my parents paid her many years to go out with me. So she, my parents sent her a check every month. No, she, um, she was actually in the class behind me at culinary school. And uh, there was a group of friends that we were all together um, that, cause she's the same, we're the same age and everything else. I started in June, she started in September. And it was a group of friends that ran around. And after, I didn't actually start dating my wife till probably about a year or so, two years after I graduated culinary school. Um, I guess those checks finally cleared or something, my parents, but it was just, I loved her personality and she was, she's a very good chef and I loved her personality and how she, she was very passionate like I was. And, and I think that was a big part that drew us together. And she also comes from uh, the country of you know, small town, Oregon, Illinois. And uh, I was raised in the country. She was in the city, more small town. But we both had that kind of small town feel and small town, I'd say opinions, but just we could relate on a lot of different aspects of, of small town and country kind of living. And, and it, it was, to me, it was, it was, it was, it was great. Um, so we dated and then we got, and got engaged. Um, and at our wedding, we actually did our own wedding food. It was great at the time, you know, wonderful. She was working at a restaurant called La Pensiero in Evanston. Maybe some of you know that restaurant there. But a uh, great restaurant. Peggy Ryan was a chef there. And Tina was a sous chef. And she worked with many. And in her kitchen was a lot of women in the kitchen, only a few gentlemen in the kitchen. And it was great because they made some of the food there. We made some of the food at Latiti. And we brought the food out there to Oregon, Illinois. And we ended up in the kitchen the day before our wedding, we had a lot of my groomsmen and people on my side, on my wife's side, as far as who stood up, were all in the industry. And so we ended up getting on Labor Day weekend, but we got married on Sunday because we knew most of our 
people standing up had to work on Friday and Saturday night. So we did it on Sunday. That way no one could, could miss work and they could be there for the celebration. So I remember prepping like a madman out there and you know, slicing smoked salmon. I'm doing all this other, we did, we did all the food ourselves. Uh, the wedding cake was actually done by my wife's sister's uh, mother-in-law. She, so she does makes wedding cakes. So we didn't do that one, but we did pretty much everything else. And, um, you know, just people, I guess people still talk about our wedding out there, not to be, not a conceited way, but to talk about the, the, the food that we did, right? Because it's not your typical kind of country food. It was a little more refined. Yeah, we, yeah, we had like a bunch of Pierre and other, a bunch of French people came to the, came to the wedding and came to the reception and just good memories. And uh, this year actually we're celebrating uh, our 28th year anniversary. My wife tells me it's been the best nine years of her life. So we married 20, maybe that's wrong, but it is 28 years of each year. So I've met your wife. She's delightful. <laughs> she's much, gone, much, much better. She's delightful. Scott, I think you want to wind this up. Perfect. All, all I can say is thank you so much. Again, a, a delicious talk and, and thank you for your insight. And thank you for sharing your beautiful personality, those lucky students of yours. So just keep on doing what you're doing and we'll all be better off for it. Thanks, thanks, Michael. No, thank you. I appreciate everyone joining this evening and being spending some of your quality time with, uh, with us. And you know, it, to me, it's not about me, it's about others. And that's what's the most important thing. And I was blessed to have people in my life and uh, people I've worked with over the years that really uh, helped shape me, helped help form me to where I'm at today and pushed me in the right ways. And, you know, from family to uh, chefs that I mentioned tonight and other coworkers and colleagues I've worked with and just pushing me to give my best. And now I'm pushing myself to give my best to my students. And I think that, and that's the idea. And, and I hope a takeaway is, you know, when you, when you cook at home or you're cooking is cook with passion, right? Have great ingredients. And and just cook with 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 passion and making the best that you can make and you know and, and then enjoying that time living them be in the moment right and when you're eating that food with family or friends or get togethers be in the moment and enjoy that time together so have a Don't great have evening eat. <laughs> and eat yeah great so thank you thank you